In this edition of Hoosology, Matt Barderno returns to the show and what a difference a year makes. He fills us in on the keys to the Wizards' success so far this season, and we discuss the Wizards' realistic goals and potential for postseason success. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network, and now Matt Marderno. He is the host of the Believe in Wizards podcast, and he writes for Bullets Forever. We welcome back Matt Marderno onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Matt? Uh, great to be back. I enjoyed our, uh, our time last time, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, it's awesome to have you back, and it's great to see the Wizards doing well. And I got to say, Matt, I think we can kind of um, empathize with each other just because I'm a huge Bulls fan, and, you know, it's been rough for them. So it's just nice to see um, kind of some new blood in kind of that Eastern Conference mix. Um, so with that being said, what do you, what do you make of this, the Wizards in this season so far? Were, were these your expectations entering this season with the Wizards currently being 13-8? I know as of the recording of this podcast, they've been 2-2, two and two, but, you know, they're still in the thick of things, and it seems like, you know, this start is not a fluke at all. So based on what you've seen so far, um, are they exceeding your expectations or, or this is what you expect to head into this season so last year before the year and the year before that my co-host and i each got within two games of their final win total so we felt pretty good about uh and that was i mean we're sort of counting for the fact that the uh, covid year was shortened a little bit but yeah. anyway um so we're usually like pretty good at pegging this team. And, and I said 41 and 41 before the year. And, and he was actually a little lower on them than I am. So uh, they're on pace to be at least like a mid forties to high forties win team. So I, I think this is uh, exceeding my wildest expectations. I'm kind of the eternal pessimist after years of rooting for, for a wizards teams that have kind of underachieved. So I'll take it. So what do you make of their turnaround? Because I look at Bradley Beal's numbers, they're down, but yet the team is performing better, and they lost Russell Westbrook. So kind of with this roster, can you kind of go over why they're um, performing better with Bradley Beal not having that much offensive output compared to years past? Yeah, I think it's just like the adults in the room theory, right? Like last year you had two guys that were insanely high usage, and one of them in particular started particularly poorly in Russell Westbrook, kind of took a while to shrug off some injury. And, you know, it just, it really hampered them. I think they started like 17 and 32 at one point last year. And it was kind of miraculous that they made a playoff run, to be honest. Whereas, you know, this year, I think it's just, you're not so reliant on the same two guys. So the fact that you have, you know, let's say, 10 deep potentially and that's without Rui Hachimura and, and Thomas Bryant so far and they've missed some other guys to injury so I, I think realistically it's just next guy up or next man up has sort of been the team's motto and I actually think you know it's not just lip service so that actually kind of applies to this group. Matt where do you kind of fall as far as like feelings with Russell Westbrook uh leaving the franchise and and how that whole trade went down can you kind of I mean obviously it seems like the depth added has been one of the major keys to the season along with Spencer Dinwiddie playing very well um where do you how did you kind of feel when that trade went down though I didn't love the Westbrook experiment and not a knock on him as a player. Like uh, I'm a sucker for like a good rebounder. So uh, an amazing guard rebounder is always is super cool to watch, but yeah, it just sort of didn't fit or didn't work. And you know, the late game turnovers and he and Beal were kind of my turn, his turn. It, it just seemed clunky the whole year. And 
Uh, and, you know, it was just one of those things where, like, they didn't have any kind of long-term flexibility. So I think by doing this, like, even if you decide this isn't the group for you, you have a lot of different options you could explore in the future. You could chop up some of those guys and trade them out. You could package them in a pick or two for another star that maybe is a better fit. So I think as good as this year has been, this is more of kind of a long-term move for them. And this is like icing on the cake that the short-term bonuses kind of worked out. And, and you mentioned Dinwiddie. I mean, he's actually been like the scuttlebutt with the fan base right now is like, is Din- Dinwiddie pick up a bust? Because he's actually been, mm. the overall numbers look really good. He's had like three outlier games where Beal didn't play and he averaged like 30 points, you know, per a hundred possessions or whatever. Mm. And then while he and Beal play together, he's at like 17 points per hundred possessions. So it's, it's a noticeable difference when the two of them are on the floor together and and they haven't really figured that out yet. So I think that they've done this without the two of them really gelling. Like you guys said, Beal kind of underachieving thus far and the team itself is, is like woeful from the perimeter. Um, So if they get better in any of those departments, add two kind of starter level guys back, I think that's, it's kind of incredible that they've done that, you know, given, given that context. You mentioned like the idea of adults in the room this year and that being a huge change uh, for the season. I, I think one of the narratives of last season was that Westbrook kind of willed that team into the playoffs. And maybe that's in part Westbrook Brook, uh, hardcore fans. Maybe that that is the case. Um, who has been kind of leading the charge for the team thus far? Yeah, so let me just throw a couple names from last year's team at you. Garrison Matthews, Mo mm. Wagner... Isak Banga, Anthony Gill, like these are guys that started multiple games for them last year. And now you've really replaced them with Montrez Harrell, who I think has been objectively the best player on the Wizards overall for the year. Like it's it's unreal to me how good he's been. And I think we all remember like, you know, we remember Clippers Harrell and the offense, but he's been really solid defensively. I mean, he's not Rudy Gobert, but he's good enough, especially against backup big. So he's kind of like been the emotional leader for the team, I, I would say. And uh, Kuzma somehow being like an almost double, double digit rebounder slash lockdown defender is not really yeah. something I expected. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shooting's not there. Everybody in the fan base gets a little nervous anytime he dribbles, but uh, you know, it's just, he's been good. KCP is an objectively good perimeter defender. So like I said, it's just kind of been by committee and they've had different guys step up on different nights. So I think that's going to have to be the formula for them until Beal kind of gets it in gear, I guess. You mentioned Kyle Kuzma, and I'd be the first to admit I kind of totally was hating on him at the beginning of the season. I thought he was totally done. But it seems like he's performed above expectations. Is, is, is there a sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop in terms of Kyle Kuzma? You mentioned like his ball handling and his shot-making abilities currently not there. But he plays hard on defense. So, like, do you see where there's sort of potential for him to improve in these other areas or is eventually we're going to kind of see the Kuzma of old? Like what do you, what do you kind of make of him in this new environment? Do you, do you sense anything differently compared to, you know, his previous stops in his NBA career? So the, the thing I like about him and the thing I don't like about him are, are just basically the same thing. His irrational confidence that he can be the man <laughs> in any of those situations. Like, yeah. uh, he's not afraid to take a big shot and, realistically to this point he's made them like he won the cleveland game for them uh he basically just beat the mavericks with a late three rebound or like a late three and then a big rebound like 
I, you know, block on Luca in the final five minutes of a game. Like he, he's actually won them single, not single handedly, but you know what I mean? Like he's, he has contributed significantly to them pulling out a couple close games. So the fact that he's been clutch is great. Uh, like I said, the, the handle is a little loose. I think he's watched maybe, you know, a little too much KD tape or something where <laughs> like, uh, he thinks he's a six ten guard or whatever. Although KD never really dribbles all that much, I guess, but Anyway, he just he's doing whatever it takes. Like he's not shooting an amazing percentage, but he's hit big shots. Uh, he's had a couple plays when they beat the Bucks. He had two late post ups when they put a smaller player on him. Just just things that I don't know. I kind of didn't expect from what I thought of Kyle Kuzma. He's made some great passes, but he's had some sloppy turnovers. Like he's kind of teetering on the balance of everything. But right now, it's just far enough in the positive that things are working out for him. But like, you could maybe see some of those things sort of go south, uh, you know, if if things don't kind of work out just right for him. Where do you see this team? I, I mean, I know we are early on; where we have about a quarter of a season sample size. Um, things could still change quite a bit, you know, between now and um, come playoff time. But do you see this team with any uh, potential playoff matchup advantages against some of those other contenders in the East? I think the big thing with the, that whole adults in the room theory is like it's really good for regular season success, right? If you just roll out 10 competent guys every night, over the course of the season, just the fact that you have that depth and, and presumably fresh enough legs, you're going to beat a lot of teams. But I don't know specifically how that translates to postseason success. I think last year they struggled like so much to make that playoff run that by the time they got to Philly, they were basically just kind of cooked. Like, I don't know, you know, maybe this year it works out a little better. If you're not going to make shots, I think it's going to be tough for them to beat anybody realistically. But I think that applies to any team. Scrappy defensively is probably good, but if your biggest strength is depth and you're in the playoffs and you're shortening the rotation, that sort of takes away, you know, a little bit from what you can do. So uh, the, the interesting question, I don't have sort of a great answer, but uh, it, it really depends on the matchup, I think. So so to Matt's point, what do you make at the Eastern Conference? Because, again, uh, just mentioning my Bulls fandom, I they have exceeded above my wildest expectations. Yeah, and we've great. seen even the Knicks, you know, in the mix, but the Hawks underperform, and then the Nets are unpredictable without Kyrie. Um, and, you know, we've even seen the Cleveland Cavaliers perform above expectations and right now i honestly say in, in the nba as a whole it is really only two elite teams with the suns and warriors so with the with the wizards i would say if they keep at this pace it's kind of like i i don't want to be like overly like underestimating that team it, it seems like at any point you know anything can happen is there what is this kind of the sense of optimism among the wizards fans is it still kind of like it's too early in the season to really have any expectations is there any kind of like sense of optimism due to their start or is it kind of too early at this point it depends on what night you ask people like if we okay. win a game and you ask it's if people are literally tweeting out the larry o'brien trophy on a regular <laughs> basis and if we lose like we did last night to to San Antonio, it's like, hey, is everyone on this team a bust? Who should we trade? <laughs> Why did we ever believe in this team? Oh, man. And you start seeing, like, so point differential is always like a big indicator of like real success or not. And the Wizards point differential is is basically that of like a 500 team. Mm-hmm. So is, is that closer to what they are? Have they gotten lucky? Have they gotten unlucky? Like, it, it's kind of tough to tell. I think objectively, 
you know, if this team got to the second round of the playoffs, that'd be an amazing success story for them, even just being competitive in the first round. But to your question, I know it's kind of a ramble, but I I think them, Bulls, uh, Hawks, you know, like, I think I could make a case for any of those teams. It's who stays healthiest, who makes kind of some smart deadline moves to address some issues. Like for the Wizards, you start Daniel Gafford. Uh, he's an incredible, you know, way to bolster their their um, front court defense. He's great rim protector for them, but he's really foul prone. Can't play more than 20 minutes a game conditioning wise, which is weird to me for a 23-year-old who just got a big extension. Or a fair but reasonable extension, and then you've got Harrell, where his best thing is like out hustling people in regular season games, where the other guys don't really care that much. Uh, but does that work? Like, is a six-seven guy going to guard Joel Embiid in a playoff series? Is he going to stop Giannis? Like, I think the holes become a little bigger in a, in a situation like that, unless again you get kind of the right matchup. I, no disrespect, I actually feel like the Bulls are are like a reasonable matchup for them because the bulls are a little smaller and, and it would allow, you know, the, the wizards to kind of like hopefully throw a lot of bodies at, at um, Levine and, and DeRozan. You're exactly right. Cause they, they played the nuggets when the nuggets had none of their starters yeah. and they get them, they basically destroyed them inside. I mean, I mean, the bulls pulled it out, but it, it took like a great performance by Levine and DeRozan to, to make it happen. So you're exactly right. They're, they're weak in the middle. And especially if Vucevic, you know, gets hurt, I, I they're, they're prime for our first round upset. I told Tony you. Bradley, baby. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, Matt, I want to kind of get your opinion on, the, the rules changes and we've talked to other guests and they seem overly pretty positive. What's, what's your assessment with the team in terms of the, the, the physical play and the rules changes? Are, are you in the camp of this? You've, you've seen an improvement within the product or do you think there, there might be some inconsistencies with the, with the refing so far in terms of those rules changes? Yeah. So that's a great question. I, I think I'm um, yes. Right. <laughs> All of the above there. I, I think, <laughs> In some situations, it looks amazing. I think in some, it's a little inconsistent. I'm curious how how they kind of continue this. Like every year, there's something they emphasize, and how long does it last is is always sort of the question. So I think if they stick with it, get more consistent as the season goes on, it's amazing. Like the NBA thought fans only want to see scoring. And, you know, rooting for a Wizards team where they lost a game um, 149 to 146 to the Rockets the other year. Like, that's not fun to sit through. It just isn't. But I also never need to see another playoff game where the final score is 78 to 74. So, like, this seems at least like an attempt at some kind of middle ground. And even if it's not perfect, I, I mean, I, I think it's a big improvement personally. So, uh, and it also kind of suits this particular Wizards team that that wants to defend and be a little more physical and slow things down and bang a little bit. So I'm all for it personally, but uh, I I can kind of get why not everybody feels that way. Yeah, it is interesting. You still have some of that variance. Like I watched the Rockets beat the Hornets the other night, and that game was in the 140s as well. Granted, it, it did go to overtime, but a lot of the games that I've seen feel close not exactly to the intensity but close to the intensity of like playoff basketball do you think i mean i mean intensity does tend to go up in the playoffs so do you think it's it's realistic we could see some games in the like under 100 point range in the playoffs like more frequently than we have been yeah i mean i think so it just 
everything gets a little more intense. So even if, you know, you, you just notch it up a percentage point or two. Uh, so I, I do my show with, with Larry Hughes, who is a former first team, you know, all NBA defender and, and talking to him, he always says there are like no air quotes, great defenders in the NBA right now. And obviously there are a few exceptions like Kawhi and people like that, but for the most part, it's mostly just your job or at least for the last few years has been to be like at least somewhat of a nuisance uh, and, and kind of uh, make things a little more annoying for an offensive player where, whereas now, like, I think you can have guys again, be an impactful defender. Like Alex Caruso, I don't think looks this good on this bulls team. If it's how things were officiated three years ago, like Agreed. he can really get up in people and that's amazing. And I think that, we'll see more versatility from players. Like you can have a Tony Allen kind of guy again, and he can actually play in a playoff game. Whereas like the last couple of years, if you couldn't at least shoot 40% from three or 35 plus percent from three, you weren't going to get on the court. So I'm all for like not having it be a cookie cutter league. So if this allows teams to do just different things, uh, I'm all for it. And I, I don't want to hijack your show, but I have not heard you guys weigh in on this yet, but I would love to get your take on, on what this ball change is doing to people. I, excuse me if you've talked about it a ton, but I have not caught that. I'm uh, just kind of curious if you think that's a real factor for teams. Yeah, that's uh, funny you bring that up because we um, we interviewed Jesse Washington of the Undefeated months ago before the season started. He did like a full um, profile on it. And mm -hmm. honestly, reading his article, I was like, I thought it was more from a kind of a sports media standpoint in terms of the league, in terms of this, you know, how much money they're going to make from switching the ball. But, you know, as the, the season goes on, I just talking to our guests, I get this sense. I don't know. It kind of goes along with the rules changes that it, if you're a highly skilled player like Damian Lillard, Lillard, you figure it out. Like, it's just one of those things where if you take a look at Damian in Portland and talking to some journalists there, you know, he has a lot of personal stuff that's been going on, you know, yeah. behind the scenes. So like the ball changing, I don't, I think it's kind of irrelevant to his, his slow start. Um, and I think overall with these guys, you know, kind of the typical answer getting paid, you know, the millions of dollars, I think it's, it's incumbent on them to adapt and figure it out. And I think also too, it is early. I mean, we're, we're not to the Christmas break yet. Um, I don't really see too much of an issue too much. I mean, look at Steph Curry. I mean, he's been on fire, Booker. I mean, even, you know, we talked about the Bulls with, you know, Zach Lafine, DeRozan, his mid-range game. So I think there's plenty of players that, even though I think we have seen a more of a decrease in scoring, I think it has more to do with the rules changes as opposed to the ball. But at the same time, I'm just a fan. <laughs> I'm just a dude, you know, sitting on my couch watching the, the games on my TV or it's going to ball arenas. So, I mean, what do I know in, a, in the grand scheme of things? So, um, but I, I, I do really think that kind of the physical play is more of a factor. How about, how about you, man? Go ahead, Matt. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think a lot of these guys are super routine oriented though. So if you spend all Good off point. season shooting like a million shots with the same ball, Good point. Uh, but you know, I mean, all of us have played pickup at some point and somebody's brought out like a shitty ball. And, <laughs> you know, the first, uh, first air ball you heave up, you're immediately like, it's the ball. It wasn't yep. like, right. <laughs> True. No, I, I, I it's probably somewhat mental too. one or two guys complains or you miss a few shots early and it's easy to, to throw it at the ball. 
or blame it on the ball. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Matt. I, I That's exactly what I was going to say is that athletes are very routine oriented and can also be kind of superstitious. Good so point. like changing something that they're touching, you know, for a good portion of the game, that's the whole objective of the game uh, is, is going to be a big deal. And that may be more of a mental thing than actually like the quality of the ball or what have you. Uh, but I, I guess personally, I would say just quickly that I, I think fans returning uh, as well as the rules changes are probably bigger factors in like the average scores of games going down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think it's a factor. I, I don't think it warrants changing the ball back uh, to any sort of uh, particular form, like like what Spalding had or what have you. But it, it probably is a, a small part of the pie of what's affecting the scores. Makes sense. Matt, I uh, I wanted to ask you also. We last time we had the opportunity to chat with you, uh, we asked you about John Wall because he was still a wizard at that point. Um, full disclosure, I, I'm a Rockets fan myself. Uh, I, I'd love to know your perspective on just outside looking in how you feel about his whole situation. There's been controversy around that the past week or so. I believe it was Chris Mannix who wrote an article about that, um, just kind of questioning what the Rockets are doing with him. Um, so I, I love your thoughts on the John Wall situation. How do you feel about how the Rockets are handling that situation? Is that fair to them as an organization and him as a player? So anybody listening to this, if you are a Wizards fan, jump ahead in the podcast like a couple minutes after I answer this because I'm going to get shit for this one, I think. But <laughs> I mean, look, like, do I think it sucks for him that he's finally healthy and he's not playing? Sure. But do I think if he wants to play badly enough, that he should be willing to meet them in the middle and give up some money to do that. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's what you want, right? Like if you want the full amount of money, then they're, they have to pay you that money, but they also have every right to do what they think is in their organization's best interest. You know, it becomes one of those things. Like if you don't play him at all, there should be some sort of tanking implication there. Um, But if they're willing to take that hit, so be it. So, you know, I I feel kind of bad for the guy personally, but at the same time, I don't feel that bad for anybody that makes 40 plus million dollars a year to not do something. <laughs> I mean, I would love to sit at home and, and not collect the paycheck, but um, I think if he was willing to take a buyout, he would probably make a reasonable amount of that money back, um, you know, from somebody with an MLE or something left to, to kind of do that. So, you know, it's kind of like a cop-out answer potentially, but uh, I, I would like to see him play. I would think putting him out there next to Porter Jr. and and, um, and Jalen Green, like they could learn some things from him potentially. And this is something you've seen more, actually with like the G League Ignite and, and some of the other G League teams now where they're filling out their roster with like competent veterans because your young guys not only learn good habits off the court, but you can see more about what they do and give a more legitimate evaluation if you see them in a more uh, realistic NBA context. So if somebody like Wall setting them up, well, does Porter Jr. suddenly look a lot better now because someone's actually gotten him easier baskets for a change? So look, to me, I think it's stupid to play him none, but if you want to say, hey, we're going to play you 20 minutes a game, and if you swing it too far in a game we don't want to win, we're going to sit you, they should have the right to do that. I, I don't know if you guys caught this, but like right before we got on, I saw that 
I guess the hot rumor now is that they're exploring trading him to the Knicks for Kemba Walker potentially. So oh, wow. right. <laughs> I, mean, I have no idea what that does for anybody, work. but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do think it's, it's an interesting question because it, it seems like right now, you know, the Rockets obviously want a top three pick if at all possible next year, they've clearly been going for that. I I've seen them play, bizarre rotations trying to figure things out and that that's not a shot at coach silas i i don't i don't know the full story what's going on or whatever but it did seem like they were trying to lose a lot of games early and now we're on a rare three game win streak right now um i i just think what is the harm in playing him until you know like january when we get closer to the trade deadline um and, and i guess my next question to you would be do you think he needs to be played to increase his trade value or was what we saw last year before he was benched um, enough to kind of have decent value for a trade? I mean, if I'm another GM, I would want to see something more recent than the first 20 games of last year or whatever it was, but you know, it, it could swing the other way potentially. I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think nobody is untradeable in kind of any circumstance, although his is pretty darn close. Uh, so yeah. if, if he goes out and he looks really good and some team is desperate right now for point guard play, like the Knicks potentially, I mean, can you turn that into an asset somehow? Like I would have thought after, you know, 25 games of last season, the Westbrook was untradeable, but they played him through it and he totally flipped that around. So yeah. If you're the Rockets, I would do whatever it takes to try to accumulate as many assets as possible. And if there's any chance that he becomes a positive asset for you to recoup some value from, I would take a shot at it. And like you said, worst case scenario, you, you throw Tice out there with him and it's almost impossible to win if Daniel Tice plays more than 25 <laughs> minutes right now. That's true. And I love Daniel Tice, but yeah. but it, it's, it's just been rough, true. right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, uh, I just don't see – I'm totally with you. I, I think you have to play him to give him more trade value, especially with the price tag that's attached if you're Agreed. not going to work on a buyout. So, yeah, total agreement with you there. Um, I want to ask, Matt, on, on the John Wall perspective, what are you going to make of his career overall? Just seems like so much promise – from some interviews I've heard just through the years, just such a smart basketball mind, but just kind of snaked with injuries and his other circumstances kind of, is there any way can you foresee him kind of turning his career around or do you kind of foresee a, a DeMarcus Cousins like future where he's just goes team to team and there's flashes of brilliance, but it's not like he'll ever return to the all-star form again. So, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I thought Derrick Rose was cooked after the, after the <laughs> knee exploded. Right, so I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see any of this or, and his, what is it? Was he Minnesota right after? Yep. I mean, like that he's still doing what he's doing. I mean, it is impressive to me. I, I think yeah. the thing for wall is going to be a, a mindset shift, right? Like he yeah. and Beal are supposedly very tight, but I think Beal kind of saw the writing on the wall that, you know, or Beal saw that the wall was always going to kind of like kid brother him. And, and I think you can't think you're a max contract guy if you're wall anymore. Like, I know you need a certain amount of like ego to like, you know, help you achieve what you need to achieve and, and play with some confidence, but there's like a line, right. Where like, you have to be able to understand that uh, you're not, you're not equivalent to like John Morant at this point in your career. Like the, the two of you are not equal. Um, so if he can go somewhere and be 
a fourth, fifth starter, like, I mean, if he's healthy, you can't tell me he's not better than like a Reggie Jackson or somebody that's playing meaningful minutes on a team that's doing pretty well, you know, all things considered. So could he help a team? I definitely think so. It's, is he going to want to do it in the way that they want him to do it? And I think that'll be kind of the question for his longer term legacy. But as a Wizards fan, I mean, he took us from being like in a very dark place to mostly relevant for his tenure before some injuries. Yeah. So I give him a lot of credit for that. He also apparently loafed and didn't work very hard after getting a super max. And does that maybe lead to some of those injuries? So it's a little bit of like kind of a, a double-edged sword there. But overall, I think for us as a fan base, it's, it's more good than bad. I would say. Matt, we appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, can you let our audience know where they can find you on social media? Let them know where they can find your podcast and your your work, your published work, and anything else you're working on this year as well. Uh, yeah, for sure. And first of all, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Happy to do it anytime. And uh, yeah, if, if anybody's interested, I do a podcast with 13-year NBA veteran Larry Hughes. Uh, we talk about the Wizards because that's sort of one of the stops he looks most fondly at. So uh, it's Believe in Wizards from the Believe Podcast Network. So it's B-L-E-A-V uh, on social media and Instagram, Twitter, or Believe in Wizards. So check us out anywhere you get podcasts, all that stuff. Uh, if you care about the Wizards, right, for Bullets Forever, which is the SB Nation blog for the team. So that's pretty much it. Uh, just trying to, to you know, in, enjoy this uh, fun ride while, while it lasts, knock on wood. Appreciate you, Matt. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys.